0: to the church leaders roundtable podcast this is stacy and i am here again with my lovely co-host sarah hey hey darren howdy kevin and this week we are continuing our discussion on disability and we have a guest with us named Holly and Sarah's. Hey, everyone. So
1: I brought on one of my friends, Holly. Holly and I go way back to college. Um, I won't, I won't put the year out there. And up, <laughs> but <laughs> um, we we met in college in a in um, was it microbi?
2: Micro it? or
1: bio? I can't remember. It, We were we were in I guess the biotechnology program at one of the college one of our local colleges. So that's how we met and we sat together and I don't I'm pretty sure we paid attention. (laughs) I know we paid attention in class, but ever since then maybe
3: not. I don't know.
1: (laughs) Well, she's going to be a nurse and I'm not. So you I, I went in me. a different direction in the sciences field i didn't no I, one I was harmed in the
3: making of this podcast no.
1: <laughs> but yeah so we've we've been friends for quite a while and we keep in touch online and as we are having this conversations around disability i just knew i had to bring holly's voice in on this so holly why don't you just Tell us a little bit about yourself, what what you have going on, and you can kind of, if you want to talk a little bit about your disability,
2: um, go for it. Okay. So my name's Holly, right? I'm in nursing school. Um, I am two and a half classes away from graduation, if I can survive this summer. (laughs) Um, I do have ADHD. I was diagnosed as an adult, actually, like eight months ago now, in December 2021. 2020? Um, 2020. What year is this? I don't know.
3: <laughs> it, it's the year <laughs> that doesn't count. It's, right. you, you're it's 21, but we're not really sure.
2: <laughs> I don't know anything at this point except for whatever I can throw in there on my uh, nursing exams. But I was diagnosed like Sounds eight months good. ago as, yeah, right, as an adult. Um, yeah, I, I'm i not exactly sure what to tell you all. It took me forever to finally get diagnosed. Um, I I guess what prompted me to go try and get some help is that I saw all the signs and symptoms in my daughter mm-hmm. from the time she was two. And I had to advocate for her and push for her to be assessed. So I had to push the school and her doctor and this, that, and the other. And once we finally got her to a point where she was more stable, I started really, really struggling in school. And I have always been a 4.0 student. In, in high school, I didn't have A's, but that's just because I didn't have to do my homework. So I sat there and I did calculations and I decided, you know what, I can get 100% on all my tests and quizzes without spending the time on homework. So even though the homework is a big chunk of my grade, I just figured out I can still pass and I can spend that time doing extracurricular activities that are more fun. So... Uh, that actually turns out to be something with a lot of ADHD people, where they they learn very quickly, especially if they're interested in mm-hmm. something. Um, and of course, if if they're still passing at school, then they don't end up getting recognized. And oh, this person needs help. And a lot of mm-hmm. females. I'm sorry. I could I could sit here and. And preach for hours because no I I am so big on on advocacy and disability in general, physical, mental, intellectual, everything. Um, but especially with females, the the biggest thing with females, especially in school, is that it gets dismissed. Mm-hmm. So in in females, instead of seeing that that hyperactive, I'm running around the room, I'm fidgeting, I'm tapping, a lot of times it manifests as as being verbal and talking a lot Mm. so oh well she's just the school gossip Mm. oh she she talks too much and she's too she's too social she's a social butterfly and nobody thinks oh well maybe there's a problem here yeah so yeah Yeah. um I I skated by for a while of this yeah, mm-hmm.
3: the, just the way I mean there's already already the biases in um in what fields we even steer girls toward, you know, we're starting to, mm-hmm. to course correct when we talk about getting more girls into science and technology and, and math. But um but yeah, there's still so many disparate uh yeah, there's so many disc- discrepancies when it comes to um how women have to navigate the world and specifically the ways that we kind of weaponize, oh, you know, we, we, we always say, oh, bossy girls, we discourage that
2: mm-hmm. and we call
3: them other words.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Whereas being talkative, you know, we have another name for that, you know, being gossipy or, or a chatterbox or something like that. And again, all these are ways that we're disenfranchising girls and women. So you know it just it's it the the way the the intersections line up of who gets marginalized, who doesn't even bother to get studied, who doesn't get the accommodations they need. It's it's
2: it's heavy. Absolutely. Absolutely. And especially with girls, the, with the signs and symptoms, it's so messed up because children The way our system is set up right now, children won't be evaluated for ADHD or ADD until the physician can take a look at the person in at least two different settings. So for a child, that means school or daycare as well as home. So even though I saw all the signs and symptoms and the emotional dysregulation, which again, Women are and females and girls are put in this nice little box about, oh, they're just emotional. Well, emotional dysregulation Mm -hmm. and not being able to deal with your emotions is a giant red flag for ADHD.
3: Wow. This is, I mean, this is really, really insightful. I'm curious. Um, You said, you shared with us that you were diagnosed as an adult, and that has to, That has to be something like that has to be some kind of transition to go from considering yourself to be neurotypical, or at least understanding yourself that way, and then all of a sudden find out, oh, wait, this is a thing. What was that like?
2: (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's so strange, because on one hand, that was absolutely true for me. And then on the other hand, it wasn't true because i have always felt like i'm not the same as everyone else either either i'm different or everyone else in the world is different than normal there there's something i don't know what it is i don't know what to call it i don't know what parts are normal or what's not but but the things that i do and the way that i see the world doesn't line up with the majority of the way other people see the world so i've actually been on this like vigilante crusade from the time that I had the internet to try to figure out what was different with me. Now, in the same sense, of course, once I finally had my diagnosis and started learning more about the cognitive behavioral therapy and all of the medications and the way that they interact. And interestingly enough, TikTok, right. And other stories from other people who mm-hmm. have it, I'm saying, Oh my TikTok. gosh, it isn't actually just me. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
3: oh, wow. so it's
2: been it's been totally eye-opening
3: <laughs> so so again i'm 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 just so curious so you take us like take us back to that to that moment where mm-hmm. um you maybe and this this happens intersectionally like there's different ways that this happens for other people, for example, I've known people who were advocating for queer folks and discovered, oh wait, I'm not completely straight. Um, i oh, look that right <laughs> 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 Thank you, thank you. I'll be here all week um but you you were shared how you were advocating for your daughter um I'm in my own little journey, and I was thinking about um the ways that me just seeking to learn how to be a better- a better advocate for for people including those with uh with um um disabilities, it was like oh wait a minute, this is really useful information. And I thought it was just, oh, this is a great life hack. And now I'm like, wait a minute. This is mm-hmm. way, <laughs> this is too many. Like, <laughs> why do I get the, when they say neurotypicals always do this, but we who are divergent do this. And I'm like, wait, I'm I'm not lining up with the right side of this comparison. <laughs> so so there is no like, right tell side. us about that.
2: There is no right side, right. and some people would argue that neurodivergent is the right side. Wow, mm-hmm.
3: which I like, and thank you for that yeah. for that pushback because, right, we're 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 taught it's the ablest view in us, right? To to consider being typical, being right, <laughs> just because it's typical <laughs> doesn't mean it's the only right thing.
2: Thank right, you, Einstein weird, wasn't typical, right? <laughs> how many einsteins have you met
3: (laughs) you know it depends because our systems are so jacked up we might not know because we just underestimated their ability
2: yeah exactly or nobody ever tested them to figure out their ability exactly i remember going. i forgot what you asked me (laughs) (laughs) yeah go back to that and then i have
1: another another question i'm (laughs) sorry No, no, go ahead.
3: <laughs> so so we were we were digging into that moment where you went from ally and advocate to realizing that you are part of the community. What 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 was that aha moment like?
2: It was gradual. Um because I do I remember when my daughter was about two and a half and she started having these horrible meltdowns and I would instinctively interact with her in a completely different way than the world in general expected me to. You know, a lot of people expect, well, you're overreacting. You can't be doing this. I said to do X, Y, Z. So you need to stop and you need to do it right now. Whereas me, I saw her having her meltdowns. And I remembered being a child and feeling that where you feel this giant feeling and you're not exactly sure what to call it. And it, it bothers you, but you don't have the ability to tell somebody, even though in your head you're thinking, this is so big, I don't know what to do. And I'm not trying to scream and I'm not trying to cry. And I'm sorry, but I can't tell you that because if I tell you that, then I'm going to be wrong. So as a result, you just melt down and you scream and you cry and you lose it. And I remembered that feeling. And so I would just, you know, come to her and I would just give her a hug and I would say, it's okay. You're feeling big feelings. It's okay. You can scream, you can cry. And I still love you. And I'm here. Take a breath. Let's breathe. You know, it's okay. Let's calm down and then let's work through it together. But yet in the back of, you know, in, in my ear, I have all these people, my parents or whoever, Saying you're spoiling her, you shouldn't be doing that. You're giving in to her, you're giving her what she wants, mm-hmm. all because she cries. You that you're she's manipulating you. But that's not it at all. She just couldn't handle it. So it was a very gradual thing because time after time after time, interaction after interaction. And I'm like, guys, you don't get it. I remember feeling this way. And look, the way that I deal with it works and then of course doing the further research to make sure that I was going down the right path for advocacy for her and I'm like okay well she has all of these signs and symptoms I do too I'm 99.9% sure that I have it too but I that's on the back burner let's get her squared away first so it was it was really gradual and eye opening and kind of self affirming because what I was doing with my daughter did work and it was kind of healing because I wish that somebody had been able to do that for me when I was a kid.
1: That's so amazing that you touch on like the, the parenting piece, because I feel like there's a lot of like movements and whatever name, like the gentle parenting, the positive parenting and all these different like names for these like movements um, against the way that we've all been trained to parent our children. And the reality is a lot of these ways are working with kids who are neurodivergent or possibly because we may not know because I don't know if it's true for other states, but I know in our our state, um, you know, trying to get children diagnosed at a younger age um, or just even taken seriously with some of your concerns is not it's not always easy. A lot of times um, I've had this and just with my kids in different um with different issues, but it's, oh, let's wait a little while. Oh, like maybe that's normal. It's kind of like brushed off and you have to like, you have to push, you really have to push for, or go see a a specialist or go see a second opinion. And it's, it's, it's a lot at, you know, on a parent to try to have to go through navigating all that. Um, And then for the rest of the world to see the way you're parenting your child as wrong. When you know in your heart, it sounds like your instinct, you just knew how to respond to your child based on how you felt. And so I I just like, I find that piece interesting because we, it came up in another interview that we did last week, but about just the whole idea of how we parent children. And it makes me wonder, like, were there any, um, when you were in school, like as a, you know, elementary, were there any things about the way the school was run that, I'm I'm trying to figure out how to say this. um about discipline like how the school's disciplined um their policies were there anything that you struggled with
2: um yeah i'm sure there were but it for me it was kind of difficult because nobody really i i was invisible right mm-hmm. so no instructors no teachers really took the time to kind of see me where I got good grades. So I wasn't a priority. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I talked with friends during class, but I also followed the rules. So instead of verbally speaking, we found different ways to pass notes that didn't seem intrusive. Right. So instead mm-hmm. of a cute little note, we would just have a spiral notebook that we would write notes back and forth. So, oh, here's your book back. Right. So outside the box, creative thinking, intelligent, smart, whatever. And nobody really noticed. And so I would procrastinate. I wouldn't get my my projects done until the very last minute every single time. I'm sure that it's kind of a, a thing with high schoolers anyway. But especially with anxiety and ADHD and everything else. If you're not interested in a subject, Uh, unless you feel this way it's hard for me to describe it's like trying to do something trying to learn something that you're not interested is kind of like trying to go up a mountain with speed bumps on it and like razor blades embedded in the speed bumps and you're barefoot Uh, it's it's like very hard hard. (laughs) Yeah, it's very hard to just get started but to keep going it's just Yeah. So no, I just, the, the whole thing, there weren't enough supports. Nobody ever checked in with me. Nobody ever, the, the guidance counselor never, Hey, how you doing? Nothing. No one-on-one. So I just kind of floated under the radar. Wow. And imagine like how many
1: kids do that.
4: I was going to say that happens to, to so many kids. I mean, uh, I I was always that that kind of kid where I had a hard time getting started with subjects and I mean I was a straight A student through high school and I remember a conversation with my mom probably my senior year of high school where I was like I'm just not interested in this stuff she was asking me why I never did my homework I'm like because I just literally I like I I don't care I don't yeah. I can't make myself care I don't want to care I don't like I I just don't. Um, and I told her, I just want to study what I want to study. I just want to learn what I want to learn. And that's it. I don't want to learn about math. I don't want to learn about science. I don't need any of that because I'm never going to use it.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: And we, we kind of had that same conversation through college. And it wasn't until my sister, who is seven years younger than me, she's my middle sister, um, not until she was, I think she grad- when she graduated high school, um, she started seeing uh, a therapist, and she's pretty open about this. And I've got her permission to share this type of story. Uh, just throwing out there, consent is key. Um, but this, uh, the the woman that she was seeing said, "Hey, you know what? I I feel like you've got ADHD. I feel like you you might have a learning disability." And it turned out that she did have a learning disability, and she also has ADHD. And all the signs that we saw in her, me and our youngest sister were like wait a second like we react to things the the same way like all three of us need to be doing something else all three of us need to be fidgeting with something else um we like like we can't just force ourselves to focus on one thing and also when it's something that we're not interested in nothing in the world will make us interested in that thing and and we lose our attention quickly or it seems like we lose our attention quickly we're still paying attention. We're just we're like our mind is in two, sometimes three different places at the same time. And suddenly, all these things started to make sense where we're like, Oh, that's why either we hyper focus, or we can't focus at all. (laughs) And I mean, that's three people Mm -hmm. in the exact same family. And I can't imagine how many more kids how many more adults are living life this way going why can't hi stacy stacy's waving at us um, but but how many how many other adults are living life going i don't know why i need to fidget all the time i don't know why i need to like my, in my case it's play with my phone all the time i don't know why i need to doodle all the time i can't just focus on my my boss gets so mad at me my spouse gets so mad at me my kids get so mad at me and i don't know why and it it breaks my heart because all of all of the research around mental illness in general was based around middle-aged white men and nobody else <laughs> and so if you don't fit that mold it's like oh well you're just talkative you're you're bossy you're particular you're ocd and we just throw these labels around like they don't mean anything when in reality, no, they all kind of point to one one bigger, more overarching thing, you know?
2: Absolutely. And with all of the comorbidities, like you had mentioned, I don't know why this person gets mad at me. I don't know why that person gets mad at me. I don't know why I don't seem to fit in in social groups when we have a group conversation. I don't know why I try to contribute and everyone just kind of looks at me and acts like I'm so rude. What's interesting is all of those social interactions and even interactions with parents from the time that we're kids. It all builds up and it actually ends up being um, long-term trauma because you are told from the time you're a little child, you know, stop fidgeting. You know to sit still. You know better. Why aren't you doing this? You already know the rules. Why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you trying? You just need to try. And you are told time and time and time again. I think the statistic is something like 30 plus times a day. From Anybody the people else get closest to you. That list? Yeah. Oh,
4: Jesus. <laughs> the right, mom yeah. voice? I was like, yeah. oh my God. Right. I'm sorry. the right. right. memories yeah. just
3: flashed <laughs> right. before yeah. my eyes. I just wanted to know if it was win? just me. <laughs>
2: <laughs> like, okay, I feel like an EMDR session. Right, add a out. trigger warning. Oh, code, yes. right? <laughs> <laughs> but no, like, the statistic is something like 30 plus times a day. That these little kids who look up to their parents, to their teachers, to their coaches, they're told over 30 times a day that them trying their hardest isn't them trying at all. Wow. And so, it, hmm. yeah, like it totally goes I hand in this. hand. So many people yeah. with ADD and ADHD have anxiety. They have complex trauma. They have complex PSD as a result. They have bot- um, rejection sensitive dysphoria where you ask something and somebody says no. And it's like, oh my God, they hate me. They're not doing it because they don't like me. My friends aren't really my friends. They just tolerate me. I'm I'm out here in my social circle. Everybody else is on the inside. You don't hear from your friend for a day or two. And oh my God, they hate me. They haven't reached out to me and they hate me. And I can't text them first because I'm going to be annoying them. And yes, oh, yes. I deal with this every single day. It looks like you all might too. <laughs> yes, <laughs> so I was like, I feel like you're just calling reeling. us all out. <laughs> I mean, so I already, if I were wearing a, a wig, it would be in your hands
3: you. right now. <laughs> <laughs> my wig has been snatched. <laughs> Kevin,
4: you were sharing what I was first off, I all I said was, I already went to therapy this week, thank you. But I was I was also the gonna rudeness. say we're I've I've talked about my eldest son before, um and he I'm I'm pretty sure we're pretty sure he's he's ADHD or or neurodivergent in some way. I mean we we know that already. But he's five, he turns six in a few weeks, and he goes on these tangents where he does kind of three things. First, he will, he'll he'll just talk, he will just like talk about whatever, and he's a really smart kid. And so he like he knows all the planets, he knows like dwarf planets, he knows a ton of facts about space. Um, like he he's just so brilliant and and he knows all about dinosaurs and plants and like everything, and so he will talk your ear off about it. But then he gets into this so that's one. And then two, he starts doing this thing where he's like, Hey, uh like for example, if Holly he started talking to you, he's like, Hey Holly, uh you you know a lot about dinosaurs. Um, what's your favorite dinosaur? And what do you like about that dinosaur? And what color do you think? And like, he goes down this rabbit hole where on the one hand, it kind of seems like just another little kid thing because a lot of little kids do that. But then he doesn't, he does this third thing where he goes, Oh, wait a second. What's your favorite dinosaur again? And like, he, he's staring at you and, and like, you can tell. And, and because we know him, I'm like, but you need, you need to listen because it's, it's not dinosaurs, right? It's like, Hey bud, go find your shoes. We're going to leave in a little bit. Go find your shoes. And he's like, okay. Like he will look at us and respond. He's like, okay. And then five minutes later, he's still sitting in front of his book or in front of the TV or like with his toys. And we're like, but where did like, go find your shoes? And he's like, oh, okay. And then like five minutes later. And so then the third, fourth, fifth time, we're like, dude, we're late to where we were going now. (laughs) Grab your shoes. Get out of here. Um, or he'll ask a question where he actually needs an answer and he's like, Hey, what's in this food? And just cause he's curious, he doesn't have any allergies or anything, but we're like, he's like, Hey, are these green beans or are these, or are these peas? And we're like, no, those are green beans. And he's like, wait, what? Those are green beans. Wait, what are they? Bud, look at me. Like, I want you to focus. Those are green beans. Okay. And he'll turn around and he'll come back and he's like, wait, what are these again? And so I have to, like, everything you're saying, I'm, like, watching, I'm I'm auditing myself. I'm like, am I traumatizing my kid because of the way that I, like, respond to him sometimes? Because, because... I actually
2: yeah. still deal with that, too.
4: Okay, well, that's...
2: Yeah.
4: Makes me feel better. No,
2: no, you're fine. So, like, okay, is, mm-hmm. me as an adult, right? I'll ask a question. It happened with my boyfriend the other day. I asked him a question. He starts answering me. And then I like I hear what he's saying. Mm-hmm. The words are going into my brain. I hear him talking. I know he's speaking words, but I'm not computing. I'm not understanding because my brain uh-huh. is doing 14 other things. Right. So I have had to look at him as a full-grown adult on medication with all my coping mechanisms, tips and tricks and everything and said, I'm sorry. I know you answered me. Could you please repeat that? I I didn't understand. And as a kid it's really hard to say that and put that into words. And it sounds like yeah. it, I know like yeah. we just met and it's not really my place but it sounds like you're doing what you can because you are a parent who cares and that's the biggest thing. So like yeah, well, don't don't freak out too much, you. okay? Like you I'm sure that you're doing really well thank and you. The shoe thing, I still struggle with it. I run late a lot of times to pretty much everything. I'm either going to be an hour early or I'm going to be a little bit late because I struggle. I struggle to stop whatever I'm doing and do. One thing that I've I've found with my kid is maybe this can help you if you haven't tried it is – It really stinks when people tell you what to do 14 different times. Go put on your shoes. Go put on your shoes. Did you put on your shoes? No. Go put your shoes on because then you feel like a failure. So sometimes what I'll do is I'll try and flip the scripts and I'll be like, hey, um, we need to leave in like 10 minutes. What do you think that we can do to get ready? And then she's coming up with the ideas and it's hard. Um, when you get distracted and you don't do the thing you're supposed to do, but you know, you're supposed to do it. And you know, if you don't do it, the person's going to be disappointed. So it's hard when somebody comes to you and they say, Hey, did you do that thing? It's hard to say, no, I forgot. So another way that I've interacted with my daughter is if it's something that I know she hasn't done, usually I'll say hey, would you do me a favor? Would you go do this again? And she says, but I already did. And I said, I know, but would you please just try one more time for me? I appreciate it. Like for us, it was using the bathroom before bed because she knows she needs to go, you know, and it would be a whole thing where she would have an accident. And it was hard for her to admit, oh, I went to the bathroom, but I got distracted, so I didn't actually try. So I started saying, "Well, would you please just try again? I know you already went. Thank you for already going. Just try a second time for me." And that's made things so much easier because you're not you're not focusing on the negative. You're not saying, "Oh, you didn't do this." You're just saying, "Hey, thanks for what you already did. Just try a second time."
3: Yeah. And that's that is so great in that the practical ways for us to to unlearn how we were parented because you know we're just repeating what we've heard and and we have repeating we're repeating the only thing we may know how to do but to start getting these practical like how do you do this and of course that could be great for any kid or you know for all kinds of situations where we know how it feels I mean no one really wants to be reminded a million times right. and just how much more graceful we can be not only with our with our kids but with ourselves right because we because we you know we don't want to be the knack we don't want to be the one who's like traumatizing the kid even though we won't do this perfectly but um yeah there's there's so much opportunity for us to just be kinder in the world because we can be thinking you know what this person may get just a just as distracted, you know, if you can right. do it from a place of,
4: of, of empathy. Um, and, and I was, and yeah. I was going to say that like these, like those aren't just good tips for, um, for kids. I mean, those are good tips for like us ourselves and for other adults. I mean, my wife and I, we, 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 we do stuff like that with, with them. And we have found that with all three of our kids, there's a huge difference in response between saying, Hey, go do this. Or would you do this and saying, Hey, we're about to sit down for dinner. What do we need for dinner? Or what do we need to get ready to go out? Or, you know, doing, doing those different things with them, but then also with each other where we, we, neither one of us have been tested, but uh, she's got a degree in psychology and she's like, I'm pretty sure we both are. (laughs) Um, And like and and like we've tried those different um um techniques with each other and even just being understanding that when i'm talking to her when we're having a conversation and she's looking at her phone or she's writing something down that has nothing to do with what we're talking about it's not about me like she's not ignoring me she's just doing something else and and vice versa and when we like need each other's full attention I asked her, and she asks me, "Hey, I need you to look at me right now. I need to have an important conversation with you. I need to like have your full, undivided attention." And again, it's such a different response. Just having that that empathy that Darren, you were talking about with with everybody. Just saying, "Hey, I understand where I I feel your pain. I get that." It's funny, Holly, that you use big feelings also with with your kids because that's exactly what we use. We're like, hey, you're feeling a lot of big feelings, and that's okay, and there's nothing wrong with that. There's just maybe healthier ways to take it out than hitting your little brother. (laughs) Um, But having that empathy of just saying, I understand that you're feeling a lot. I understand that you don't know what to say or what to do in this situation, and I just want to love you through it. I want to parent you better than my parents parented me. Parent, parent, parent.
2: Yeah. Absolutely. And it's really hard at, in my experience to kind of not only recognize the the traumas that we have been through in mm-hmm. our experience and in our childhood but not just recognize it but then learn to undo it and learn to undo those habits where everybody ends up sounding like their parents one day, right? Well, if we do that, we're just passing it on to the next generation. So okay. I need to I need to take a minute. I need to think this through a little bit.
3: <laughs> Generational trauma for the win. Oh yeah.
2: <laughs> it's a lot of
1: reparenting work. It's a lot of like you because it's the switch doesn't just go from acknowledging your own trauma and how you were raised. It's then healing from that before you can even or in the same process when you're trying to then parent your children. So I know for me there's a lot of guilt involved because I still naturally react in ways that I can consciously like to like know as it's as I'm yelling and it's coming out of my mouth, know that this isn't how I want to, you know, react towards my child, but it's so ingrained right. and there's so much work that I'm still consciously doing. And so sometimes I'm just like I'm going to screw up my kids. They're already screwed up. It's already too late. And like, I get in these like panics, you know, and you know, it's just, you know, me as a single mom trying to, to, to parent by myself and then just feeling so many different feelings myself. There's times I just, and my big go-to is I just disassociate. So then I just check out. And then I just like, you know, like the kids are just doing what they're doing. And I'm just like, I just check out. And it takes it takes a lot. And sometimes I feel like, you know, I'm good one day and I'm like, oh, I had a really great day. And then the next day, I feel like I just like erased everything, the progress, but not realizing that it's like it's a journey and it's not always easy. And having empathy for yourself and being able to like, you know, forgive yourself and acknowledge that it it wasn't our fault, that way that we were raised and probably our parents fault and their parents fault. It's weird trying to break all of these cycles at the same time parenting in a society and around many people that don't support this. I have my kids in a summer camp right now that is everything against my parenting the way I would want to parent, but yet because it's my childcare and it's, you know, I'm kind of backed in a corner. It's like, I'm trying to like figure out, okay, he's not thriving in this environment, Mm -hmm. but you know, what other choices do we have? You're up against schools that from, from what you named earlier, operate a certain way that isn't always going to match and support what you're trying to do in the home. So I think it can just feel really, really overwhelming when you're trying to do this um, whole like parenting journey and to like, you know, be up at night wondering (laughs) how badly am I going to screw my kids up? You know, is like a thought that I know many of us have.
2: And you and I have talked about that at length, mm-hmm. so I'm sure that you remember, but um, I have also learned, right, with, with me and that go-to yelling, what have you, even though I've already identified that as a problem, and even though I pause and I think and I breathe and I you know, don't go straight to that because I know better and I'm working toward better, one thing that I've also identified is I still have ADHD, and I still have anxiety, and I still have my own triggers. Well, my kids are actually my biggest triggers, because they build on top (laughs) of each other.
0: (laughs) The anxiety goes like
2: (laughs) this. Hello? And then we get up here and all of a <laughs> yep. sudden I yes. can no longer deep breathe. And all of a sudden, oh my goodness, this is too much. You need to go sit down. You go do this. You do that. Nobody's saying anything because I need to focus or I'm going to cut my finger off because I'm trying to cook. It's okay. So I don't know whether this is right or wrong, but uh, I have actually gotten mm-hmm. to the point where I will tell my kids and I'll say, listen. I'm overwhelmed right now. Mm-hmm. And I I don't know what to do right now. Can I have a hug? Because I hug them through it. So I will legit ask my kids to hug me through it. <laughs> and I don't know if it's right or wrong, but they seem to respond okay, because they see, seem to see me as a human too, instead of right. this big, all knowing, all powerful being.
3: I mean that's that's how it works to be able to see people and understand emotions and and all of that. These are these are deeply important skills that we have undervalued for so long. I you are you are speaking words of life. What what does your advocacy look like? Is it it is are there public spaces where you're speaking? What's what's happening when when you uh when you speak up and speak out?
2: So, so far, my speaking up and speaking out has been very limited to me and my immediate family because I am just trying to survive accelerated summer nursing school. Um, but I have a path. That sounds like a great choice. <laughs> Dude, it, it's been so challenging. I'm not even, it's psychological warfare, <laughs> but it's fine. <laughs> Oh my! <laughs> but I, I really. She's like, like That's like a nervous laugh. It is. It's it's psychological warfare, and I, I totally. That's why all the people who go to nursing school together are like lifelong friends because it's shared trauma, um, for no reason. But that's, yeah. that's aside the point. Um, but trauma no, I, I do. I
3: kind of.
2: It's true. <laughs> It's true. In general, I seriously just <laughs> want to speak up for people who don't have a voice for themselves. So it came about, that's why I'm in nursing school, because of my grandpa and what happened when he was dying. And they didn't give him his morphine. He was in a lot of pain. And I questioned the, the nurse who made the wrong decision. And she chose to grab me by the shoulders and shake me and say I'm wow. not that kind of nurse he's fine um if you have a problem with it take it up with my supervisor so I did I walked down to the the desk the next morning and I asked well how do I file um how do I file charges against your against your nurse and she said what I said well um she, she physically put her hands on me in anger or frustration without my permission. And she's not giving the proper palliative care. This is against the law. I want to press charges. This needs to be fixed. Um, so I decided right then and there that I wanted to um, go to school to be a nurse so that I could stand up for patients who didn't have their family members right there to stand up for them. And it's just kind of kind of a thing for me. So little kids who can't talk about their feelings because they don't have the capability. Older people who, you know, maybe they're confused and they don't have their family. Um, even younger people maybe who can't speak for themselves or maybe their family members kind of just brush them off or they're too busy or... Whatever. So I'm not exactly sure what my my future will look like for advocacy, but it's a passion of mine, and no matter what I'm doing, um, I, I'm already doing that. I'm currently a patient care tech, and I'm already doing that with with my patients. And I've had some beautiful moments with with some people who didn't necessarily have their family members, and you know, just doing basic things for them. Like um, one patient who um, His physical appearance was very, very important to him, having his hair combed, this, that, and the other, and um, just being able to, to do that for him, even though at that time he was no longer able to speak. I knew it was important to him, and nobody else had the time to kind of talk to him, and I sat there, and I got him cleaned up. I combed his hair, and I was talking to him, and he smiled and the next morning the doctor and the nurses were talking and they're talking about okay well how's he doing and oh well he's non-responsive i said that's not true and they said what i said that's not true i sat there and i talked to him and he actually he smiled and i asked him yes asked no questions and he responded yes or no he is there and he is responding and everybody what right just take your time just listen to people so i'm sorry I, like i said i can rant a lot but that's that's oh, that was what I boil down to
3: I'm ready to take up the offering at this point
2: no that was a beautiful story that was like
1: yeah that I mean having that real life example yeah. though too to see how advocacy can work just not in you know a church space or um just within a public forum but like within healthcare, because I think that's also like a space that We don't hear a lot of voices from, or we hear certain aspects too. But to to see how you know, as a healthcare provider, how you use your voice and advocate, because I mean, I know you guys see like so many different things with so many different people in vulnerable states. So to know that you know we have passionate people in healthcare that want to make a difference and want to care and show empathy to people, that's so important. That is so 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 important. So I appreciate you sharing that that whole story.
3: I um I, I wanna, you know, the, the name of this podcast is Church Leaders Roundtable, um which doesn't mean that everyone has to be a church leader or sitting around a table. But I'm curious, um, is there a is there a faith place in your life? And does this um if if there is or if it's not, does any of this intersect with uh with your views of the divine or a higher power? I'd love to hear your thoughts on that.
2: I have a very complicated uh, belief or viewpoint, so to speak. As I feel, I probably do uh, us with too. most things.
4: Let's do it's fine,
2: right? Um, but I so my belief is that there is something, right? Like this might sound like a conspiracy theory, but that's fine. Um, from what I know about all older religions, right? Let's say Greek mythology, um, Viking mythology, um, what, Hinduism, um, the Egyptians, the Mayans, all of them, all of them kind of sound like eyewitness accounts that are given to the police after witnessing one thing where everybody has a slightly different story but it's all kind of similar. So I don't know what happened. I don't know what's Mm -hmm. going on, but I think that there is something, there is something to all of it. And I just, in general, like be a decent human being, like, you know, help people who need help. If you're stronger than somebody else and they need physical strength, okay, here, I can do that for you, no problem. You know, if I can see better than you and you can't read what's up ahead, I'm going to read it for you. Hopefully, you're not driving, but you know. Um just helping other people and trying to set up especially in our country, trying to set up mm-hmm. different ways of helping those who need it. Physical disability is a huge thing. You know, when's the last time any of you guys have walked into a public bathroom and seen a changing table for an adult? Never. Never, yep. When's the last time you walked into like a a men's restroom, let's say, and even saw a changing table for a baby in a men's restroom?
3: Yeah, there are only a few states that require them.
2: And even in the women's restroom, it's really not even that common. It used to be, I remember seeing them all the time when I was a kid and then I had kids and oh, there's no, there's no changing table. And the ones that are there don't have liners. They're filthy, they're not cleaned, they're dilapidated, they're falling apart. People have overused them and adults and bigger kids have sat on them and they're like falling apart at the seams, they're unusable. So really like women, children, disabilities, all of them are totally marginalized and set to the side. And God help you. If you're poor, you have no chance. You have no chance if you're poor and something else. No, nobody wants to help you No, And I don't know how to fix it. Maybe, I don't know. I think just the, the country in general needs more empathy. So many people don't seem to understand that the majority of us are what one to two paychecks away from homelessness yeah if you if exactly. you end up in a serious mm-hmm. physical problem where you end up hospitalized for let's say a month if you even if you do get disability payments those usually don't kick in until what five six weeks something like that
3: and sometimes you know, two longer, to six uh,
2: weeks depending on your weeks. program right it's and then weeks. you have hospital bills on top of it And yet you have all these people, they'll drive by homeless people and they'll say, oh, well, they did it to themselves. They're on drugs. They chose drugs. Okay, number one, even if it was drugs, that is a physical dependence. It is an issue. It's a whole mental thing. And there's the physical loop in with it. But it's not just them saying, okay, I'm choosing this and I could stop anytime I want, but I'm just not because this is more fun. And I don't know how to Mm. fix it. I don't know. Maybe you guys know. I, I feel like, when my, I don't know. I feel like we used to care about people more and now we just don't. We're like, well, he should do it on his own. She should do it on his own. Oh, she's a single mom, the two or three kids. Oh, well, she shouldn't have had those kids. Um, I'm sorry. I had a whole family. I was a stay at home mom. And, you know, I had my partner who was the breadwinner who said, oh, don't worry about it, stay at home, take care of the kids, I'll take care of everything. And then the breadwinner decided they wanted to be single, so all of a sudden, oh, hey, now you are physically responsible and financially responsible for two small children. Mm-hmm. hope you're able to instantly get a job that's 60000 or more a year in order to just pay minimum bills. Like, what? That's, right. no.
1: Exactly. Yeah, minimum bills. Yeah, I was going to say, that's not even, like...
2: Right. That's just right. like minimal like bills, and it depends on little. where you
1: are because maybe in our state, but
2: <laughs> exactly not other states. You know, exactly. So, and then right, yeah. and adding in doctor's appointments for you know the the parent or one or both kids. Right. How how do you how do you overcome all that? How do you how do you get society as a whole to value people who are different than what were spoon fed in the media, the, the hyper photoshopped, super skinny eating disorder, super muscular eating disorder. Again, you know, I don't, yeah. I don't know
3: There's because there's it's someone,
2: brushed over with some... men too.
3: Mm-hmm. If you, uh, if you could wave wave your magic wand and change something tomorrow with money being no limit, what what would that look like? What would you do?
2: I want to make sure I understand. So you're saying if I could change one thing,
3: just one thing, what would that look like? And whatever that is, you know, it can it's your choice. But if you could change one thing, what what might that be?
2: That's such a deep question. I'm trying to think.
3: Take your time.
4: <laughs> and while you're thinking, um, I, I I just wanted to throw in like all of these conversations and, and this one also for me has just been so like insightful in so many different ways where on the one hand, um i'm i'm like hyper aware of of all the different ways or a lot of different ways that we're ableist um i'm hyper aware of like even the ableism within myself and within my kids and i've gotten to have conversations with uh with the people around me with with my parents and and with uh co and with friends where I think on the surface level, at least, we all agree that that we have to be kinder to people. And Holly, you just said that, you know, we, we used to care about people, we used to be kinder to people. And I think at least on the surface level, we all kind of, we all agree that, yeah, something's got to change. And the way we treat homeless people isn't correct. And the way that we talk about addiction isn't good. But then there's people who uh, like i encountered this with my dad where he was like it's never going to be perfect and he's a he's a pastor he's a baptist pastor and he was saying it's never going to be never going to be perfect um until 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 we reach paradise so why would we change it like why like why why are we trying to to force this issue and i'm like uh because we're supposed to because we're supposed to love people because we're supposed because Jesus healed people and then turned to his disciples and said you're going to do greater things than these and I'm going to send you a helper so that we could like we're supposed to do better <laughs> and I was telling somebody else a few months ago like that's the difference between a conservative and a progressive is a conservative is like well it's never going to be perfect why even try while I, while a progressive is saying Well, we should at least try. (laughs) Might not be perfect, but enough fighting words. (laughs) Well, that's not what conservatives believe. My my Instagram is hey (laughs) Darren. Wow, Um, the bus I've just been thrown under. Well, hey, I figured if anybody can take it, it's you. No, but but like I said, I'm like like taking taking all these conversations and taking this conversation. into into perspective. I'm I'm going off to camp with with our youth group tomorrow, um, and I know because their parents have told me, and they've marked it on medical forms and everything. And I I know that I've got several students who are neurodivergent in multiple ways, and I've already been stressing about how I can keep them all focused, how can I can keep them all engaged and connected and everything. Um, and so this conversation is is really good timing. Well, on the one hand I'm still focused on that but then on the other hand I'm like how do I want to be engaged how do like right. how would I how did I want my youth pastor to engage with me how did I want my college pastor to engage with me how do I want my current pastor to engage with me like those things go a long way and so I just like I said while you were thinking I just wanted to throw that one out there because it's uh, these conversations are helpful in and advocating in the little ways, and those are the ways that matter. Advocating in the everyday minutiae, mundane of, hey, no, we just need to look at this patient a little differently, and we just need to talk to this kid a little differently. We don't need to take a course on being being experts on this. We just need to care just a little bit differently and have have just a little bit more love for the way we treat people
2: absolutely absolutely so I I did think and I think I have an answer it's hard to choose but one of my very good friends um she had said one time to me that no one cares about an issue until it directly negatively affects them. And if I could change one thing, I think I would change that. I I would like for people to care without it directly affecting them or their daughter or whoever they love, you know, care because it affects the random stranger that you've never met care because of of the issue in general. And Kevin, interestingly enough, to, to piggyback off of what you had said about the conservative versus progressive thing, I find it so funny because my parents are both um, staunch conservatives. And it's hilarious to me because my mother, in her staunch conservativeness, is the one who has instilled all of my beliefs and values that it's our duty to take care of someone who needs it. It's our duty you know, to help the older man who can't, who can't do for himself. We need to be there for our neighbors. We need to, to help others and do all these wonderful things. And she actually wasn't just speaking about it. She has lived it. You know, we've helped our neighbors and doing this, that and Mm -hmm. other, but I find it so funny to see the disconnect because I have taken these values and I have gone one way where they, I don't know how they got where they are. And it's hilarious to me so thank you for mentioning that
4: well and and to be fair I'm sure that my parents are the same way I I got all my values from them I just took it a different way and I'm sure that my parents as well as yours would say the exact same thing I don't know how they got there how did did they go so far off I mean at at least we're all confused about each
3: other (laughs) yeah and at the at the end of the day there's the commonality Mm -hmm. of People are people are trying to figure out how to how do we do the best we can in the world that we're in. And from that perspective, yeah, people are saying, oh, no, I'm advocating for this. I'm, I'm fighting for that. Um, and we come to some very different, uh, you know, conclusions about it. But I think there's a lot of room for us to spend more time listening to, understanding, connecting with people on what we do hold in common. So some people say smaller government so that people can give more of their own personal income. I think that's a great idea. I just don't want it to be the only thing. Like, okay, so that means if if there's nobody to give money, then people deserve to starve to death in a country that has an abundance. I don't I don't think that's okay just because we want people to have their own control right. of their money. So yeah, and I'm not and I'm not a centrist. I used to be. Um, (laughs) but for me at this point, centricism is just about not being extreme rather than standing for something that's somewhere between two extremes. So, um, so yeah, I, I I think we just have such, such a great opportunity to have self-compassion, such a great opportunity to, um, and I'm, I'm coming, I'm fresh off of a weekend where I spent a room, spent the whole time in a room with 12 people who come from very, very different experiences and, and values. And the whole point of the weekend was for people to discover, like, oh, we really do care about some things, even if we come to some different conclusions. So, you know, with this, I'm thinking about how much better can things be if we gave space for people to say, oh, you know what? Not every kid needs to sit down quietly for six hours or eight hours mm-hmm. a day. What uh-huh. What if we made some more space for, yes, some kids will sit down and, and, and do that. And that works for them. And then you might have a kid who might need some extra, who might need a bouncy ball that they can sit on and work on. And guess what? Like, it, it's not special treatment if, if, if. If the aim of our classrooms were to provide what every student needs to succeed, then every student is getting what they need to succeed, even if that's not all the same thing. Equal doesn't mean that it's equitable. Like we mm-hmm. really, we really need to. And right. I was fortunate to grow up with a mom who's an educator who never assumed that the best students were the ones who all fit in to the same mold. Um, so, yeah. If we just give ourselves some grace to do things differently, and give others some grace. I think some amazing things can happen. Oh, yeah.
2: absolutely! And interestingly enough, um, I I did go to a Montessori school for I mm-hmm. think kindergarten through second grade, and in my personal opinion, from my experience there, having more access to Montessori curriculum, true Montessori without having private expensive schools may be a wonderful tool because everything that you need to learn is there, but you get to follow your own Mm -hmm. interests. You get to dive in, you get to teach yourself, you get to be hands-on. And like you mentioning education, right? It doesn't translate very well to college. And so even if you get your um, Mm -hmm. specific whatever they call it, where you can, accommodations. Even if you get your specific accommodations in college, there are certain things they can't necessarily do. So sitting in a college lecture hall and saying, okay, excuse me, let's let's pause lecture for five minutes. I need a brain break. That's not going to work.
4: Right.
3: At least not in the system you currently (laughs) create it.
2: Right. Exactly. So like what kind of overhaul could we do? (laughs)
3: right you can you can pause some things even even if they're happening real time um yeah
2: to an extent it's it's been so interesting because I because I did I went back to school in 2019 and I got about a year before COVID Mm -hmm. and when COVID hit it was the middle of our semester and all of a sudden they transferred our nursing classes including hands-on things to all online and you would think at first I thought it would be a wonderful because oh I can watch the same lecture over and over I can memorize the what they say because I'm very (laughs) audio instead what we ended up getting was recorded lectures with um screaming kids in the background and the person clearly recorded it in one take they misspoke oh yeah and so you mm-hmm. know instead of saying hyper they might say hypo and then they talk for another couple minutes oh. and they say oh i said hypo it's actually hyper so go ahead and just correct that i'm sorry what i have to rewind like 3 3 minutes Hello. now what what just happened so it's been it's been interesting even online even though you would think it should be better it it has not been in my experience, because instead of a four-hour-long in-person lecture, you end up getting twelve hours of recorded information that is poorly presented.
3: Oh poorly, <laughs> and everyone's like, "Oh, well, it's the pandemic, so then stop grading, stop making these these grades right. count." <laughs> yeah,
2: right, right. My yeah, favorite, my f- not all the... right. Not to complain, but like my favorite is when they say, um, excuse me, I'm just can I'm just distracted because of my child. Okay, pause it and continue the recording later.
3: Yeah, it's but again, you know, we we just we have not as a society grown to a place where we realize like things don't just have to go the way that they've always have, like, the most successful online experiences are not you trying to mimic exactly what you do in a live classroom. Um, And the best way to accommodate your kid isn't the exact same way that somebody else accommodated their kid or yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, uh, there's, there's so much opportunity. If we, here comes my um, anti-capitalism rant. If we, (laughs) And looked up like here it is i think i have one like every episode but if if we weren't so busy about making a society that is just producing people to fit into a pre-designed system mm-hmm. then we could have the accommodations we could have the space for people to research and discover and to be more inclusive of a sample population size you know there's so much that could happen and I'm not saying it's all autom- automatically easy, just because I said what if, but I really, really think there's so much to learn from from if we listen to the to the ADHD folks who think outside of the box and go, hey, you know, there's a really great solution for this that you probably never thought of. So, up with the neurodivergent, exactly. <laughs> Exactly. We need it. We need it. But that,
2: my question now is like, what? What is that step though? Because it seems like a lot of times where I've even personally gone to um, my professor or one of. Thankfully, my kids' instructors have all been very supportive and very um, willing to work with me. And I'll suggest something, and they'll be like, "Yeah, let's try it." But what would that first step look like for um, a? College education, the way it is currently set up, to approach someone and say, Hey, I have some ideas. How about we try to implement these? What do you think that conversation would look like?
3: Oh, clearly, you already have to have an army ready because there's going to be a full meltdown
2: (laughs) and something
3: horrible (laughs) is going to get said. And then you have to tweet about it. And then it's going to be a whole public kerfuffle fluffle I think that's how you say the word um and colleges and universities clearly haven't been the best at picking things like who should get tenor, tenure tenure <laughs> tenure I need a nap uh but picking people who should get tenure in an institution and you know we just have so many broken systems it is deeply frustrating and it, it you can become hopeless um but I also, you know, meet meet complete strangers to me, like you. And I'm like, you know what? We're not the only ones out here trying to make the world better. We're not the only ones yeah. out here thinking and and including and and making sure folks belong. You know what? I'm gonna keep on keeping <laughs> on, at least for today, because who knows what's gonna happen
1: tomorrow.
4: <laughs> <laughs> Those kids are all right.
2: Yeah.
0: It's funny. This this last week, I participated in a focus group, and it was one of those weird things. I had seen somebody post about it on in a Facebook group, a mom's local group, I think it was, and I was like, "Well, that seems interesting." And and it said, "Hey, you get one hundred fifty dollars." I love that kind of interesting. All right, I'm in. Is that still open? (laughs) Right. So. And and it was it was geared. what they say you had to be a a voter in the last like you had to be a registered voter and all this kind of stuff, right? And I was like, well, that's interesting. And you had to be a parent, so I did the screening call and everything. And she was asking me all these questions, and and I was like, okay. And then the day came and I was still like, kind of like, I've never done a focus group, you know, it's all online. And it was like, Is it going to be weird. I Googled, you know, the company and all this kind of stuff. Cause I was like, who knows, you know? And so we started and there was like a group of 11 of us. And then we had our moderator and it ended up being like this really interesting discussion. Like we all ended up like, Oh, And it gave me like, cause, okay. So most of the people in the group were my age. So middle-aged and, uh, you know, our kids were all a range of ages, but there was this one young woman in the group. She was like 27, the youngest person in the group and, um, having her speak and she was very like outspoken. She was, she knows her stuff. And I was like, "You give me hope," because she was. Let me preface this: the end of our discussion ended up being about um, what can we do to make a difference in our children's education. That's kind of where our our topic ended up going, and uh, and we ended up discussing about how the school board is our best bet of changing. Um, how we can influence our kids. And so she was like, I don't think I would fit in because I'm so outspoken and I'm young and I'm tatted and I have colored hair and all this kind of stuff. And I was like, you give me hope for my children and their education that's coming you or, you know, that they're getting through. Because I said, if someone like you were to run for school board, I'd vote for you. Like you'd be on my list of people to vote for because you are outspoken and you might be a little bit brash, but you know what? I don't care because you know your stuff and you're an advocate and that's the type of people, I mean, everybody that is able to speak out and whatever, advocate for whoever, for whatever group it is that we need advocating for. That's do what you can wherever you are. like. That's the point, I think. I love that as
1: like a final, like, do what you can wherever you are.
0: All right. Well, this has been great. Thank you for joining us with our discussion again on disability. And thanks to our guest, Holly. This has been the Church Leaders Roundtable podcast. And uh, comment, like, Subscribe, smash that button, whatever it is you need to do on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Do all the things. Follow us, subscribe your friends, your family, anybody that just, needs to. Just take hear their phones the messages, and just go ahead and download. App, so <laughs> down download
2: turn on the subscriptions. And hey, while-
0: Wow, that sounds, that
4: sounds like a really like evangelical fundamentalist college ministry the chihuahuas, chihuahuas of, christ. of
3: christ and it's but wait it's that a puppet terrifying. ministry oh, it's a, a hand, hand puppet <laughs> ministry no, stop, it's a stop, puppet stop, ministry stop, stop, yes it gets worse by a
4: bunch of white people white people <laughs> doing puppet shows in doing spanish. really bad spanish
3: accents yes
0: with Asian oh and Spanish and black dolls.
4: But they're all <laughs> dogs. They're all Chihuahuas. But they're all that, Chihuahuas. That's, that's where that's
0: it's where it all comes in. terrible. Yep. And yeah. and they, they
4: probably
3: like are at risk for a copyright lawsuit from like <laughs> Oh yeah. Somebody what's the ones with the puppies? They've got the uh no one has you have Y'all have more kids than me. I don't have any kids.
2: (laughs) (laughs) About (laughs) Paw Patrol. Oh. 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 Oh.